Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. You know, something that we don't talk often enough about in the cannabis arena is business insurance. It does come up in the pages of Cannabis Business Times and at Cannabis Conference, but much like the industry in general, it's an evolving concept. And before we lose listeners' attention, let me say this. It's vital to understanding the risk management strategies and long-term growth goals of a business more or less defined by risk and growth. So you do not want to miss out on this one. I spoke with Mike Sampson, partner at Leach Tishman, to dive into the inner workings of cannabis business insurance policies and to make a complex topic more palatable for those who are trying to find their way. Mike is a member of the firm's litigation practice group, where he leads the insurance coverage group. Mike also co-leads the cannabis industry group, and he's based in the Pittsburgh office. Mike represents diverse clients in a variety of complex civil and commercial litigation and other matters across the country. He's also a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I must point out, and Beyond the Show is very much a Cleveland Browns backers podcast. So bear that in mind, that we could have easily gone into football rivalry territory instead of cannabis insurance policies, but I'm glad that we went the route we did. So please enjoy my conversation with Mike Sampson. Mike, thank you so much for joining Beyond the Show this week. It's very good to to have you on the program. We're going to get into some insurance conversations. Uh, how have you been lately? Hey, Eric. Uh, appreciate your, your having me. And um, hopefully we won't put anybody to sleep talking about insurance. But I think these are important topics to the industry. And so I'm thrilled to be joining you uh, for this podcast today. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I'd imagine, and I'm sure you know this more than anyone, but it's one of those things that I'm sure a lot of people don't really think about too much until until they need it or until it's it's too late. So it's it's always a good thing to sort of check in on. And um, especially in the cannabis industry, as the industry in general becomes a bit more sophisticated, shall we say, or normalized, uh, this conversation seems to be becoming more and more important. So with that in mind, I figured I would sort of start with the misconceptions around insurance and what remains a federally illegal cannabis industry. One of those misconceptions may very well be uh, whether cannabis businesses can even get insurance coverage. And I know that's sort of a broad brushstroke, but just wanted to begin with that. From your vantage point, what are some of the, the big misconceptions that business owners or prospective business owners might have about cannabis business insurance policies? Yeah, and I think you hit on one of the big ones, and it's certainly uh, declining over time. When I started doing this years ago, I think there was a prevailing uh, belief that you couldn't insure cannabis or cannabis-related business because it was still federally illegal. Uh, you know, that, that I think has declined, that belief, certainly amongst sophisticated um, businesses, MSOs, and the like. However, I think there's still um, a fundamental uh, misperception that insurance is not available to the cannabis industry, or yet you can't insure certain things like the cannabis itself. And while that misperception may be declining, um, I think it still exists out there. It's definitely a misperception. There's definitely coverage uh, generally available for everything from commercial general liability insurance product liability to even crop insurance now. 
And, um, you know, it may not be as robust a market or as many options as the, uh, you know, the, the dime candy store down the street has, but, but there is insurance there. And, uh, you know, I think that's important. And I think, Eric, a point you made kind of in the intro is a really important one, too, and it goes hand in hand in some ways, which is thinking about these issues now is super important because I can't tell you how many times as an insurance coverage attorney, you know, I get a call from somebody after a loss or a claim has happened and, you know, they're dumbfounded because they went and looked at their policy and found there wasn't coverage or there was an exclusion or there was some other problem or they didn't purchase what they thought they purchased. And if we had just dealt with it at the time of procurement, at the time of placement, at the time, you know, the fire or the hurricane or whatever it was occurred, we perhaps could have gotten out in front of it. And so, you know, I, I think kind of hand in hand with this misperception about insurance not being available is, you know, to, to check your perceptions, to do the due diligence, you know, not to just assume. Absolutely. And, you know, I know it's, it's late November here, and at least in in my household, we're, we're looking at some of our insurance policies and looking ahead to 2022 and just um, taking stock of, of what that year might look like and what our current policies look like. And again, I'm not running a cannabis business per se, but um, but it is sort of the, you know, we're reaching the end of the calendar year here, and that might be a convenient time for businesses of all stripes to revisit what they have on the books and maybe look at where their business is headed in the year to come. Um, could you maybe discuss what that audit, so to speak, might look like? And um, maybe we can drill down on some of these specific types of insurance. I know you mentioned product liability. That's, I'm sure, a big one. Um, but, you know, what does that audit look like when a, when a cannabis business owner and their team are looking at what they have and, and trying to figure out where their gaps might be? Absolutely. And, you know, you kind of used um, the lingo that we as a coverage lawyers use. So we'll, we'll drag you into our space, Eric, but audit gaps. Um, but those are definitely the key considerations. Look, an insurance company, I'm sorry, a cannabis company can be looking at buying insurance anytime during the year. There's nothing per se magical about January 1st. But I think, you know, kind of apropos of your point, Eric, that much like you check the um, your smoke detectors in your house, everybody's encouraged to do that around New Year's. Uh, it's also a good time to check your insurance policies and to do a health and wellness check, or as you put it, you know, kind of more artfully, an audit. And so, what what does an audit mean? An audit means working with um, either yourself, you know, your CFO internally, your risk manager, director of insurance, wherever it may be or your broker or insurance coverage counsel. And, you know, I'll give the cheap plug here that I do think bringing insurance coverage counsel in on an audit is really important because you're going to be looking not just at limits, but really understanding, wanting to understand the terms and conditions of the policy and how that may uh, impact coverage in the event of a loss or claim. And so, you know, generally when we do a coverage audit, whether it's for a cannabis business or any other business, you start by looking at what insurance do they currently have in place? What types of insurance? What are the policy limits, both per occurrence and aggregate? And you look also vertically at, you know, is there excess coverage? Is there umbrella coverage? If you only have, you know, certain primary coverage, uh, how much is it? But if you have additional coverage above that, how much do you have? 
And so you want to make sure that there's kind of, um, you know, both the substance of the coverage and the amount of coverage you need. And in doing that, you know, and this is one of the reasons that, you know, selfishly, I do think that coverage council can be constructive and, um, you know, pick up on something you said, Eric, which is you want to be looking at what are your gaps in coverage. So if you know that you have um, potential liability because you are selling vape products, for example, uh, you need to be thinking, do I have coverage under my product liability policy for vape products, which is going to mean going and looking at the exclusions in that policy, endorsements to that policy, and really making sure you understand them. And there's similar kind of, uh, you know, potential issues lurking in many other insurance policies. So that's not to scare anybody, um, but, but rather to just kind of go in and go in wide-eyed and carefully and look through those, those policies to see what you have and see what you don't have. And in order to do that, you really need to understand first what your own potential liabilities uh, and risks look like. And so that's a really good place to start too, is making sure you understand what your exposures look like and what you need to cover through insurance. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you you mentioned vaping specifically because, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that vaping-related lung illnesses were a major headline across the U.S. And, and that sort of is a, a can of worms that we don't need to necessarily open right now. But, but I'm curious if, uh, you know, vaping-related product liability policies have evolved in the last few years, meaning if you're manufacturing vape pens in 2021, do those liability coverage policies look different than they might have looked three years ago? Uh, put another way, are these... Is, are these policies an evolving conversation in an industry as dynamic as cannabis? You know, that's a really, really good question. It's also, I think, you know, a tough one to answer, but let me, let me try to give it a shot. I don't think there has been, at least in policy forms, tremendous evolution in uh, forms. Uh, that said, it is certainly an evolving process and certainly one where a policyholder can at least try to negotiate um, certain terms and conditions. So if there's a problematic exclusion in an insurance policy, as a policyholder, you can at least, working through your broker, try to get that removed. I will tell you, especially in the cannabis industry, I've uh, seen very little evidence, however, that those type of attempts uh, are successful. Um, in my experience, the insurance companies hold pretty steadfast to uh, their forms um, and their exclusions. And, you know, to your point, vaping, which has gotten lots of headlines, remains, um, you know, a persistent issue when it comes to insurance coverage, because we are still seeing in these forms uh, exclusions that go to vaping, absolutely, that go to certain types of vaping products or batteries, or vaping products from certain manufacturers or certain countries. And so, you know, to the extent there's been an evolution, I would say it's, you know, in part due to other insurance companies coming into the market and offering, you know, forms that perhaps don't have these standard exclusions, but we're still seeing, um, you know, insurance policies being offered or sold to the cannabis, CBD, you know, industries uh, that contain 
very broad and coverage defeating vape exclusions. Certainly. Um, well, I do want to circle back to some of that exclusionary language that you're referencing there. But while we're sort of touching on different types of insurance coverage, I did want to flag cyber coverage, um, if only because that's another thing that's <laughs> been in the headlines quite a bit uh, throughout this past year, and maybe not necessarily in the cannabis industry per se, but it's uh, it's certainly been a major issue that private and private businesses and, and public agencies of all kinds have had to deal with. Um, what are some of the maybe high-level characteristics of, of cyber policies that you think are, are super important to keep on Canvas business owners' radar? Absolutely, you know, Eric, and we could probably do another uh, lengthy podcast on on cyber alone uh, because it is such a hot issue, and every day there's another um, ransomware attack or various cyber attacks. Um, as far as data privacy intrusions, social engineering, et cetera. I think, you know, you talked about misperceptions to start off today. And one of those misperceptions, if you understand that insurance is available at least, is that the only insurance a cannabis business needs is product liability insurance and or perhaps commercial general liability or property insurance. But I can't stress enough how important cyber insurance is. Cyber insurance is going to provide both first and third party coverages. And uh, that means, you know, if you incur expenses because of cyber events, some sort of forensic investigator, there's going to be coverage. And if you get sued by a um, third party, there's going to be coverage. And there's so many reasons, you know, in my mind that cyber insurance is important for the cannabis industry. One, obviously, is it's a, uh, you know, really cyber dependent industry. When you look at it, you know, every state or virtually every state has seed to sale tracking electronically, which means there's a lot of data flowing back and forth uh, between various businesses in the state, which means there's a lot of potential for cyber mischief. And given that, uh, having cyber coverage is super important. I think, you know, also, uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of inherent risks that come with operating any business, and especially one like uh, cannabis that is doing more and more online. There's protected information, there's uh, private information. And really when you think about it, it's a um, potentially uh, very dangerous area because if somebody were to have a breach and were uh, a bad actor were to take control of a cannabis company's um, data, you know, even though it's legal state by state, there's still some stigma attached to it. And the ability to kind of hold that data ransom and demand a large ransom payment, uh, you know, is really a threatening issue, I think, in my opinion, the cannabis industry. Uh, thankfully, we haven't seen a lot of cyber attacks across the um, cannabis industry, but the potential risk, and you know, go back to what I said earlier about identifying liabilities, um, you know, there is potential risk there. And so I think cyber is really important. I think like any company, there's a risk of a social engineering fraud, um, you know, phishing scams, things like that, where cyber coverage can be called upon. And I just throw out there, one thing that we're seeing, you know, still to this day are a lot of uh, lawsuits being brought against companies across the country, including cannabis businesses for basically sending out unauthorized text messages 
Uh, and these are claims under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, TCPA. And while in the most regards that is not that type of claim is not going to be covered under a cyber policy, we are seeing some cyber policies that provide at least some limited coverage for the defense of TCPA claims. Um, so I think for all those reasons, cyber is just such a hugely important coverage, you know, for cannabis businesses and really for every business. This is, you know, to your point, we're going into 2022. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're still in a brave new world or if it's getting a little less new, but, um, you know, these are real considerations, real risks, and all of which really show the importance of cyber coverage. Yeah, it's certainly uh, just an emerging theme that seems to be growing more important by the day, really. Um, well, yeah, I mean, all you have to do is pick up, pick up the newspaper and you can see, you know, whether it was you know, a pipeline attack, whether it was a meatpacking company, whether it was, you know, somebody else, whether it was domestic or uh, international. I mean, it's every day we're seeing uh, evidence of cyber attacks um, of businesses, big and small. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty eye-opening, uh, especially earlier this summer, just in terms of not only the scale of some of these attacks, but also just the frequency, I guess. Um, you know, you don't need to be a multi-billion dollar multinational corporation to be the target of one of these. In fact, oftentimes it seems like um, whoever is behind these attacks, I know it's not just a, a single person or a single entity, but it seems like uh, there's a tendency to cast a wide net and go after a lot of smaller companies uh, and just, you know, see what sticks and, and see what they can get away with. It's, um, you're absolutely, yeah. you're absolutely right. And we've seen that where, you know, multiple companies are hit by the same hacker on the same day. And, you know, Eric, uh, we've discussed kind of the old adage and ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and how, you know, again, as a coverage attorney, can't tell you how many times a policyholder, you know, shows up after the fact and says, oh, you know, this is going to cost me what? And the response is, well, if you dealt with this, well, it's not the response because nobody likes to hear it. But, you know, the, the thought is if you had dealt with this, you know, at the front, forefront, um, you know, there would have been, you would have been better positioned. And so, yeah, everybody thinks they're not going to be victims of a cyber attack. It will happen to somebody else. Um, but you know, really is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure because if you have that coverage in place, you know, when a loss occurs, not only are you going to have financial uh, support, but there's going to be support for things like, as I said, forensic investigation, figuring out where the breach went, credit monitoring if you have to do it. And so really it's a place where, yeah, you don't want to necessarily spend money and we're all, you know, as business business, owners and people advising business, looking at ways to, um, you know, keep costs down. But this is one place, you know, that I just don't think um, a, a prudent business owner wants to be, you know, cutting corners. And I think that any kind of cyber um, safety policy, cyber safety protocols in place at companies uh, ought to include cyber insurance. Absolutely. And you know, I think that that is sort of the key theme to a conversation like this is is looking ahead into, you know, an unknowable future. I mean, no one, no one's, no one has a crystal ball, as far as I know, and it's it's hard to say what what lurks around the corner. But um, it could certainly include a lot of troublesome things, including we've talked about product liability, we've talked about 
uh, cyber attacks. So I'm curious, um, maybe moving away from policies uh, or policy language specifically, although I do want to get back to some of the exclusions that we've talked about. Um, you know, when a company, when a claim is filed, maybe we can talk about product liability here as an example, but when a claim, when a claim is filed, what are some of the things that a company should be doing right away to respond? Uh, let, let, let's say, yeah, let's, let's use product liability as an example here. What are some of those initial action items uh, to, to do in response to a claim? Absolutely. That's a really, really good question, a really important question, uh, because knowing what to do ahead of time before you get that claim is really important because I can tell you from experience when the claim comes in, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is kind of stirring around and figuring out what you need to do. And so, first of all, you know, before kind of talking about what you need to do, is I'd encourage your listeners to actually stop now before there is a claim and put into place, you know, some sort of policy or workflow or flow chart as to, you know, what to do when a claim comes in. Because you don't know, for example, how that claim is going to come in the door. Uh, it may literally come in the door with somebody, you know, walking into a dispensary and screaming at a bud tender, or it may come by phone or email. And, you know, you don't, first of all, want your first line um, customer service person to be caught off guard because there's things you should say and things you shouldn't say. And you have to be thinking about legal liability from the get go. But once that claim comes in from an insurance standpoint, uh, you want to make sure that you're looking at any policy that could potentially respond, uh, whether it's a product liability policy, some other form of liability policy, and cast your net broadly. You know, work with your broker, with your coverage counsel, because you don't want to leave any coverage on the table that you're entitled to. Uh, identify those policies that could respond, and almost every policy requires that you give prompt or timely notice of a claim. And so you want to do that uh, quickly upon a claim coming in. And I think also, Eric, you know, and again, another topic we could spend uh, a long time and probably a single podcast on uh, to your listeners chagrin, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I think one thing to be aware of is a claim doesn't just mean litigation. So you're not just waiting for a product liability lawsuit to be filed. If you look at your policy, and I would advise, again, everybody kind of do this ahead of time so that you're not caught off guard. But if you look at your policy, a claim may be something as simple as a written demand letter. Um, and if you fail to give your insurer notice when that comes in, when a litigation um, you know, is finally filed, then uh, you may have been prejudiced yourself and the insurance company may argue that they're not obligated to cover you. So don't just wait for the lawsuit before you give notice, you know, you give notice of a claim or circumstances that can give rise to a claim. And so you want to make sure you're looking at your insurance policy to know when you need to give notice. And I would argue if there's ever any doubt, err on the side of giving notice. Um, so I think those are really important. Obviously, when you have a claim come in, you want to document it. If there's pictures, if there's some sort of, um, you know, device that has malfunctioned, keep it, uh, keep pictures, keep records, you know, make sure you're maintaining information because you're going to want that both from a product liability defense standpoint, as well as potentially an insurance standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. Just that, that quick documentation point, you know, it comes up in, in so many of the B2B features that we write at Cannabis Business Times and 
it kind of reminds me too, and, and maybe this is just because, uh, again, I'm not operating cannabis business here, but um, but I have dealt with insurance in the past, and it reminds me of just you, know, you get into a fender bender, and, and the first thing you you do, aside from getting law enforcement involved, is documenting everything through photos and and just getting the narrative down on paper uh, before before those elements. Uh, are, they get harder to track down, I guess, as time goes on. I mean, what's, what's the, you know, to your point, what's the first thing you do? You ask, you know, if somebody hits you, you, you know, hits your car, you ask them for their license, you ask them for insurance. Mm-hmm. Probably in this day, you know, it used to be that we would just write those down in this day and age, everybody's got their cell phone and they take a picture of the other person's, um, you know, insurance card or the driver's license. You probably go out, take a picture of what your rear bumper looks like, what their front bumper looks like. So you have that documented that way when it comes time either to pursue litigation or, you know, or, or quite frankly, if they sue you, you'd be able to say, no, look, your bumper wasn't hurt. I have the picture. No, look, this wasn't a damaged vape um, pipe. I have the picture. And the same idea absolutely applies. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I, I have been wanting to get back to that word exclusion or exclusionary just because it's come up a little bit in, in some of the, the questions and answers so far. And I know that it, it might maybe seem obvious on face value, but I wanted to see if you could just define that term and maybe elaborate on what exclusionary language might look like in a policy, because I'm, I'm going to guess it's not laid out super clearly, um, but maybe it's, it's slipped in between the lines, so to speak. Well, it, it can depend. It can depend. Um, and even if it is clear, it's going to be clear in a, you know, multi-page document that's not so accessible. But sure. generally speaking, an insurance policy is going to have what's called a coverage grant, which is going to tell you when the insurer is going to provide coverage. You know, in the event of a claim, in the event of a loss, in the event of a you know product liability claim, but then there'll also be certain terms and conditions that speak to the party's obligations, and that could be, for example, the condition for a policyholder to give notice or to cooperate, um, or for an insurance company to defend you. Um, beyond that, then often, well, not often, but always, an insurance policy is going to have exclusions. And exclusions are basically carve-outs to coverage. They are instances where the insurance company says, yeah, we promised you to provide coverage, but we're not going to provide coverage in this situation, this situation, this situation, or this situation. Um, You know, one of the ones that we talk about a lot as insurance coverage lawyers, um, which as you can imagine, makes us very popular at cocktail parties, is a exclusion known as the expected or intended exclusion. And the idea, for example, under that exclusion, which actually can have application in the cannabis space, but it's not really one of the ones at the fore for the industry, is you know, if you expect or intend an injury to happen when you do something, uh, you're not going to get coverage. Or on the property side, you know, think about it, you're not going to recover if their floodwaters are right at your door, at your property level, and you try to go get coverage. Uh, you know, you expected that you were going to suffer a loss. The insurance company isn't going to cover it. And so, you know, believe it or not, Eric, you will find a section in an insurance policy titled exclusions. Um, it may not be written, you know, in, in the plainest of English, and it may be on page 83 of a 163 page document. Uh, but there will be, and there may probably be multiple sections, depending on uh, how many coverages are there as to whether 
you know, how many sections of exclusions there are. And you also may find exclusions in what are called endorsements to the policy. And those are basically add-ons or addendum terms. And you can add coverage grants, you can add exclusions, you can add additional insureds, you can add pretty much anything through an endorsement. And that's another place to look for these, these exclusions. Um, for what it's worth, I just would you know, tell your listeners when they're looking at coverages and if they're in a dispute with their carrier, um, you know, coverage grants, which again are the, the uh, statements of when a policyholder is covered, are to be interpreted broadly, generally under you know, law. And coverage exclusions, which again defeat coverage or take away coverage, are to be excluded or to be interpreted narrowly again, in favor of coverage, because uh, the courts recognize that generally speaking, insurance policies are written by insurance companies and issued to policyholders who you know, don't make their living reading and writing insurance policies. And therefore, you know, the courts work to find coverage, which means reading coverage grants broadly and exclusions narrowly, generally speaking, under various state laws. Excellent, yes, this is good to know. And, um... You know, I kind of wanted to maybe, uh, I guess, summarize by returning to that audit idea and looking ahead to 2022, a year when, you know, a lot of readers and certainly listeners as well may be planning to expand their business or look into the M&A market to acquire uh, other businesses, maybe expand their own footprint across the U.S. Um, with that expansion idea, does that sort of I mean, I have to imagine that's a, that's a time when a business is going to want to return to their insurance coverage and make sure that anything new, including new properties or, or new um, facilities to one degree or another are, are covered under insurance. Um, but how does that work? I know that's maybe an overly broad question, but if let's say a grower is, is interested in expanding their, their canopy space or even their facility space in 2022, what should they be doing now to make sure that at least on the insurance side, that expansion, which is already a complicated process, uh, goes as smoothly as possible? And I tell you what, Eric, uh, you, you really are ready to be an insurance coverage. <laughs> uh, Getting ready. That's a really, really, really important topic. And one that you know I know I talk to my clients about whenever there's going to be a change in operation or ownership, structure, formation, you name it. Um, you've got to be looking at your insurance policies. And again, you know, ahead of time, it's important to look at them and understand what you do and don't have coverage for, but you may not be able to effectuate that change you know, until you're doing the, um, you know, the transaction because you know, it'll only be then that you need the new insurance and you can work with your broker and coverage counsel to, to place that. But I think, you know, you, you made a number of good points, Eric, and, you know, I don't think you're paying me to say this. At least we don't have an agreement up front to, to laud the good points you made. But uh, I think they are good points because anytime you expand your business, um, you need to be looking at your policies because now you may have a higher revenue stream. You may have a different uh, geographical footprint. You'll have new properties you need to insure. You may have new directors and officers that need to be added to your DNO policy. I think anytime you do a transaction, insurance needs to be part of uh, the due diligence process. You need to know, you know, whether you're the buyer or the seller, what insurance uh, is held by the other side. 
Um, and, and I think the other thing, you know, Eric, that goes hand in hand, and this, you know, is something we've seen during the pandemic in 2020 and 2021, if and as your business model changes as a cannabis business, you need to be thinking about uh, your insurance. And, and why do I say that's particularly important now? Uh, I say that because one of the things we've seen a lot of during the pandemic are things like uh, states allowing for either more online sales, which raises the need for cyber insurance again, or allowing for delivery service. And so if you're a cannabis business that never did delivery, and all of a sudden you're doing delivery, you've now got a whole bunch of new risks and liabilities to contend with that are going to require uh, perhaps commercial auto insurance that you didn't have before, or certain crime coverages that you didn't have before. And so I, I think, you know, apropos, Eric, of, your, of where you started today and of your most recent point, you know, it is a good time to look at and understand the insurance that you have, that you don't have. And, you know, if you're thinking about changing your business model, what do you need to go out there and get? And then you can work with coverage counsel and your brokers to um, effectuate that new coverage. And it may be possible, depending on the type of transaction you're doing um, or, you know, movement you're making to leverage the current coverage you have, either just adding to it uh, through endorsement, you might add a new entity, a new named insured, a new additional insured. But let me just finish by, by pointing out that in many, many, many insurance policies, there are terms that um, address what happens if there's a change in ownership, if there's a newly acquired company. And in many of those cases, uh, there might be some limited coverage for some limited amount of time, but you really are going to need to think about what new and additional insurance you need in the event of a change in kind of uh, business practice. Absolutely. Well, cannabis industry is certainly not one in which folks can just rest on their laurels. Things are always changing, and that's partly why it's so exciting. Uh, I'm sure a lot of a lot of businesses are, are planning you know, big things and, and good things and exciting things for 2022. And it's always, always nice to just prepare um, so that those, you know, celebratory moments can go off without a hitch. <laughs> Look, there's gotta be, there's gotta be something to celebrate after the you know, year that we all have had and looking forward to 2022. I think, you know, better times are ahead and uh, hopefully that means, you know, more insurance options, but, but hopefully it just means better times for, for all of us and for all of your listeners and, uh, simpler and easier and healthier times. Absolutely. That's certainly the goal. And, uh, you know, until then, Mike, it was really great having you aboard for the show this week and, and great talking about some of this with you. You know, it's uh, it's a topic that, um, yeah, as you sort of noted, with uh, with your tongue in your cheek, it can be a, a little a little boring at times, um, but certainly not to me and not to you and <laughs> hopefully not to our listeners, because I think it is, it is critical. And um, I think it, it's a it's kind of like a mirror for, for some of the, the shifts and dynamics in the industry at large, uh, especially that, that cyber point. That might be, again, a future episode, sort of a follow-up episode in the future. <laughs> I, I appreciate your having me, Eric. And I can safely say that, you know, um, I get a lot more people willing to talk to me when I tell them I'm a cannabis lawyer than a coverage lawyer. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the old Arlo Guthrie song, uh, Alice's Restaurant. You know, I tell them I'm an insurance coverage lawyer. And they all move away. I tell them I'm a cannabis lawyer and they come back. And so uh, hopefully we, we did keep people awake and we gave them some insights and um, some things to think about as we move into 2022.
And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Sampson from Leech Tishman. You know, we got into some fairly complex topics there, but I think laying it out in a conversation like that helps streamline the way that we can think about cannabis business insurance. It's an important topic, certainly not going anywhere, and it's only changing and becoming more important as the industry grows up, so to speak. It becomes a bit more sophisticated and a bit more normalized, working with other industries and interacting with other parts of the commercial landscape in America and elsewhere. So I appreciate Mike joining Beyond the Show this week. Always great to talk to him. And again, we've got a few more episodes coming up. We're going to wrap the year sort of looking back on 2021. And uh, of course, we're going to keep an eye on 2022. We have big plans in store for the 2022 Cannabis Conference that I'm excited to announce very shortly. So with that, stay tuned every Friday here. We're going Beyond the Show.